You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. I want to continue in Revelation 19. We saw last week uh, the rejoicing of God's people. Notice with me, if you would, in um, Revelation 18 and verse 20. It says in um, rejoice, verse 20, over her, thou heaven and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. This is a time for God's people to rejoice in Revelation 18 and 19. But I want to remind you, it's time for God's people to rejoice today. Uh, we are to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Then we get to chapter 19 and verse number um, 4. And the Bible, excuse me, verse number 7. It says, let us be glad and rejoice. and Give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. We saw last week the rejoicing of God's people. Uh, we saw that there is a, uh, a command to rejoice. We saw that we are uh, given a choice to rejoice. And then we saw last week the consequences. What happens when you rejoice? Good things happen. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you're wondering why, maybe you're running on fumes, spiritually speaking. Maybe it's because we've lost the joy of our salvation. Maybe we've lost the joy of the Lord. Friend, I want to remind you tonight, the Christian life was never intended to be lived as torture. God never planned for his people to get saved. And then they just had to endure till the end and hold on till the end and just, you know, go through all the trials and everything's going to be hard. And no, of course there's difficulties. We know that. But Ron Hamilton, uh, who just recently went home to be with the Lord, he wrote that song, Oh, Rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. He knows the end of each path that I take for when I'm tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. We can rejoice because we know that our life is not in our hands. Our life is in God's hands and he's got it all figured out. We can rejoice. But I want you to see tonight, secondly, I want you to see in Revelation 19 and verse number two, we see the righteousness of God. Not only the rejoicing of God's people, but I want you to see the righteousness of God. Verse number two, for true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore. Uh, mark that word in your Bible, judge. We're going to come back to that. Notice with me, if you will, in uh, verse number nine, uh, the end of the verse. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Verse number 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Why are those words capitalized? Are they capitalized in your Bible, Faithful and True? It's because that is not just a description of Jesus. Those are names for Jesus Christ himself. Those are names for who he is. He is faithful, and he is true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now here's the difference. In, in our world today, did you know there are some wars that are fought that are not righteous wars? Uh, they are not wars that are justified. They are not wars that are, are, are fought for a right reason. 
Now, I like to think in our country, and I, I know our leaders are not perfect and all those things, but I like to think that if we're going to war, I like to think that it's for the right reason. I like to think that it's for the right cause. But whether it is or not, we'll, one of these days we'll find out. But Jesus Christ has never launched a war that was not a righteous war because he's God. In righteousness, he doth judge and make war. How about this? Please do not tell me the name. Please don't call the name out loud. <laughs> but have you ever known a judge that made a bad judgment? Maybe it was a bad judgment against you. Maybe you knew the facts. Maybe you, you had all the information. Uh, maybe some in law enforcement or some in other areas that you've been in a courtroom and, and you, you saw a judge that made a decision and you think, what in the world was that judge thinking? Well, I got news for you. Nobody will ever have the ability or the authority to question Jesus Christ because he judges in righteousness. He is right. He is perfect. He is holy. He's never made a mistake. So we're talking about the righteousness of God. And then verse number 13, I love this. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. That is the name that is given to Jesus. He is faithful, he is true, and his name is the Word of God. What does that remind you of? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Uh, the same was in the beginning with God. The Word was God, and, and, and without him there was not anything made that was made. Uh, the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Uh, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about the righteousness of God. Father, I pray you'd speak to us. Uh, give us what we need. I pray that you'd open our eyes and open our understanding. I pray that our hearts would be receptive. And I pray that the message tonight would be delivered with clarity and with power. But I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would take my weakness and take my frailty and take my words and my mind and I pray that you would translate it and transfer it to each and every person here, that each person might receive exactly what they need from your word tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The righteousness of God. It was Abraham that asked this question in Genesis 18, 25. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I want you to think about that. If Jesus Christ is the judge and if he is a righteous judge, that's easy to say for somebody else. That's easy to look down the pew or it's easy to look across the auditorium and say, you know what? God is going to take care of you. God is going to treat you right. God's going to do things right in your life. And that's easy to say to somebody else. But maybe it's not so easy to say to yourself when you look in the mirror. Maybe because there's been some things in your life that you don't understand. I know this, I've had things in my life that I don't understand. I've had things in my life that didn't seem right, that didn't seem fair. But it's not up to me and it's not up to you. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, he is the righteous judge. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms? I want you to turn with me please to the book of Psalms and we'll look at Psalm 7. We're going to go to a few passages here. Psalm 7. The Bible says in Psalm 7, in verse number 8, the Lord shall judge the people. 
But then the psalmist David, he writes and says, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. Ooh, that's a tough statement to make. When you say, Lord, I'm willing for you to judge me because my heart is right with you. Because my life is what it should be. I understand we're all sinners. I understand we all make mistakes. But did you know it ought to be the goal for every Christian every day that we walk with God and when we sin, we confess our sin and we, we, we confess it and we forsake it and we go on and every day we ought to be closer to God than we were the day before. What happens when you fall? A just man falleth seven times, but he riseth up again. David said, God, I want you to judge me. Don't just judge everybody else. I want you to judge me. Sounds like Psalm 139. Where David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know what I like to do? I like to say, Lord, I'd rather you judge Brother Askew. <laughs> I'd rather you judge Brother Chris. or I'd rather you judge Brother Daniel or Brother Glenn. I'd, well, I'd even rather you judge Miss Phyllis because we know there's a lot that could be judged. No, 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 I'm just kidding. But it's a hard thing to say, Lord, I want you to judge me. But he is the judge. He is the righteous judge. Notice with me, if you would, Psalm 35. Turn over a few pages, please, to uh, Psalm uh, 35. Psalm 35 in verse number 24, we see that David over and over and over again, he talks about God being the judge. Psalm 35 in verse number 24. Judge me, O Lord my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Here in this case, David says, Lord, don't judge me for my righteousness. I need, to, need you to judge me because of your righteousness. Notice with me, if you would, in uh, Psalm 50. Psalm 50, keep going. Psalm 50 in verse number 6. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Notice Psalm 67. And I'm not giving you all the references, but I want you to see a few. Psalm 67 in verse 4. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Isn't it good to know that God judges people rightly? He judges people correctly. He judges people from a position of holiness. He knows everything. He's never made a mistake. He is the righteous judge. Notice Psalm 72. Psalm 72 and verse 2, He shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor with judgment. We see that our God is a righteous judge. Hebrews 12, he is called the judge of all. Judges eleven twenty seven. it says, The Lord, the judge, he shall judge. God has never made a mistake in judgment. The apostle Paul was at the end of his life and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I think you know that passage. Paul said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. He said, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Now, I want you to think about this. The apostle Paul I would say, uh, in, by human standards, he had a successful career before he got saved. Now, we wouldn't agree with what his career was. 
He was one who persecuted Christians, but he did it from a religious point of view. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was serving God. He thought he was helping uh, the, the cause for, 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 for God. But in reality, he was persecuting Christians. But something happened to the Apostle Paul. One day, God got a hold of him. And that bright light shone. And, 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 and he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Apostle Paul was saved. His life was changed. And instead of persecuting Christians, he became the Christian and he became persecuted because he would not back down in preaching the gospel. Do you realize that if you're here today, which tonight most of us who are here tonight, we're not Jews. We don't have even a small percentage of, of Jew in us. Uh, we're not a part of God's chosen people. We are Gentile people. And the fact that we got the gospel is largely because the Apostle Paul was obedient to Christ and gave his life to preach the gospel, not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile. Paul lived his life for God. Paul was on his way to Rome to be executed for his faith, and he said, I, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. And here's what he said, and it's all been worth it because I know who I'm standing before. I'm not just standing before Nero. I'm not just standing before Caesar. I'm not just standing before uh, Agrippa. I'm not just standing before Festus. Paul said, I'm standing before the righteous judge. And I know that the righteous judge is going to do right. And he's going to do for me what he promised. And he said, I am anticipating a crown of righteousness because of the righteous judge who will make the call. Can I tell you, it is worth it to live for Jesus. It is worth it to live for him. He is the righteous judge. We see the righteousness of God. Quickly, I want you to see in this passage, not only the rejoicing of God's people, the righteousness of God, but thirdly, I see the return of Christ. Oh, this is so good. Revelation 19 and verse number 11. The Bible says, and I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now let's talk for a moment about the return of Christ. I want us to understand the difference between the rapture and the time when Jesus comes back at the battle of Armageddon, okay? So the rapture happens, and Jesus Christ will not set foot on the earth when the rapture takes place. How do we know that? Well, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Then the Bible says this, that then the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the, where? In the air. So Jesus is not going to set foot on planet Earth at the rapture. He's going to meet us in the air. That trumpet's going to sound, and we are going to be resurrected. We're going to be raptured out of here to meet Jesus in the air at the rapture. We go to be with him. And you say, how long are we going to be with him? The Bible says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's good to know. Wherever Jesus goes, I'm with him. After the rapture, wherever he is, that's where I'm going to be. You say, well, what about when we're down here? What about when we're in the New Jerusalem? And what about the Millennial Kingdom? I don't need to worry about all that. Well, we'll talk about it when we get there. But I don't need to worry about it because I know who I'm going to be with. Can I tell you, if you're with Jesus, you're going to be okay. 
I've told you this story before. I remember several, many years ago now, we were in Washington, D.C., and we got a tour of the Capitol building. And there was a man that uh, we had met uh, that, from uh, California. Excuse me. We had, we had some friends in California, and they knew this man. He'd grown up in their church in Sacramento. And uh, he said, hey, yeah, have him call me. I'll give him a tour of the Capitol. I was a little skeptical. I got there, and I found out this man was on the Capitol Police Force for 20 years. And he was in plain clothes. He did not look like a Capitol Police officer. You say, what the, what's that supposed to look like? I don't know. I just had something different in my mind, you know. He didn't look like that. He got there. He had this Hawaiian shirt untucked. He had these khaki pants. And I, I think he had, I think it, it was tennis shoes. I'm sure it wasn't anything fancy. And he walks up and he says, you guys ready? And we said, yeah, are you? He said, oh, yeah, follow me. And there's lines everywhere for tours going into the Capitol. And this was probably, all oh, 15 years ago. And we were, Jen, you weren't in that group, were you? When we went in the Capitol? It's, it's still a true story, even though Jen wasn't there. We, we, we went about nine times. But anyway, um, I, I blew it now. Um, so we're, we're going past all these lines of people. And this guy is acting like he owns the place. I'm nervous. I'm thinking... I don't know if this guy's even going to get us in the front door. And we get up to the front door, and he didn't even have to pull out his badge. The guards at the front door knew he was. They called him by name, and they said, good to see you, sir. What can we do for you? And he said, oh, these guys are with me. So I'm going in the Capitol with no tour guide, no ID or any. I'm just walking in, and I'm staying close to this guy. Now, my wife was somewhere, but she could take care of herself. But I was staying close to this guy because these guys have got, they've got um, uh, uh, rifles and they've got weapons. And the guys inside looked mean. They looked angry. As a matter of fact, there was one time where uh, one, somebody in our group was uh, maybe off to the side when we were in the Capitol in Rotunda. And a guard came over and spoke to him. And immediately, this guy that we were with, he came over. He said, oh, don't worry about him. They're with me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, whatever you say. And I was walking around that Capitol building, and I couldn't be there by myself. As a matter of fact, I was kind of nervous about being there. But because of who I was with, I didn't have to worry about a thing. And friend, I want to tell you, in this life and the next, if you've got Jesus with you, you don't have to worry. He will take care of you. Be not dismayed, whatever be tied. God will take care of you. And so we see in Revelation 19, we see... The heavens open. This is not the rapture. The rapture's already happened. We've already been in heaven for seven years while the tribulation is taking place on earth. And at the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back and all of the armies of the world have gathered together for battle at Armageddon. Initially, they're not fighting against God. They're fighting against each other. But when Jesus comes back, the armies unite themselves because the true enemy of the world is not each other. The true enemy of the world is Jesus Christ. And they unite against Jesus. And when Jesus comes back in Revelation 19, we see that the heavens are open and a white horse and he that sat upon him was faith, called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Notice verse 12. I would think that this alone would have caused the, the armies to tremble and caused the armies to back down. But it says in verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire. That's the description that John gives in Revelation 1 when he saw a vision of Jesus Christ and his eyes uh, a flame of fire and his hair like wool. And John, when he saw that, he fell on his face as though he were dead. 
But Jesus comes back, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. I don't know how many crowns were on his head, but I know this. Every crown that's ever been placed on the head of any king belongs not on the head of that king, but it belongs on the head of Jesus Christ because he is king of kings and lord of lords. I don't know if these are the crowns from Revelation 4 that we have already taken and we have cast them at the feet of Jesus when we say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and power. I don't know how many crowns, but I know this. He's coming back and he has many crowns on his head and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed, verse 13, with a vesture dipped in blood. Now that's an interesting statement. I'd like for you, if you would, to hold your place in Revelation 19. I want you to turn back with me to Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. You see, in Bible times, when kings would go forth into battle, first of all, many times they themselves would fight in the battle. Uh, who's a good example of that in the Bible? David. Boy, David, you almost couldn't hold that guy back. He was right in the middle of it. He just wanted to be the one who was there with his soldiers. And, and I think that's a, 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 an example of a great leader. But in Bible times, all combat was hand-to-hand. -hand. It was up close and personal. And so for those kings to come back with their vesture covered in blood, that was a sign that they had been to battle, but it was a sign that they had come back victorious over their enemies. And this verse, Revelation 19 with his vesture dipped in blood. Some have said this is the blood from Calvary and this is the blood that was shed. And I don't think that's a bad application. It's a good reminder that Jesus did shed his blood on the cross. But this time Jesus is not coming to die on a cross. This time Jesus is not coming as a lamb to be slain. This time he's coming as a lion. He's coming as the king. He's coming as the conqueror. And so his vesture is dipped in blood. Notice Isaiah 63. You thought I forgot about Isaiah 63, didn't you? I did, but I'm here now. Verse 2. Wherefore art thou, and this is uh, the, the day of the Lord's vengeance, is the title at the top of my Bible of this section. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment, for the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. So Jesus is coming to battle, and his vesture is already dipped in blood before the battle starts. You say, how is that possible? It's possible because when Jesus says he's going to do something, it's as good as if it were already done. Now think about that. That's why the Bible says that we already, as Christians, we are already seated in the heavenlies. We are already in heavenly places. How come? Because God said you're saved. And if he said you're saved, you're, you're not there yet. But in his mind, you might as well already be there because you're safe and secure because it's promised, because God has guaranteed it. And so his vesture is dipped in blood. It is a, a reference to 
the victory that Jesus wins over his enemies as he goes into battle. The armies followed him. Notice with me in verse number 14, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen and white and clean. You say, oh good, I'm glad Jesus has reinforcements. He doesn't have reinforcements, he's got cheerleaders. Because nobody else is going to have to lift a finger. None of us are going to have to do anything. The angels of heaven aren't even going to have to raise a sword because Jesus Christ does it all by himself. Notice what it says in verse number 14. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. It's a good thing to do. Just keep following Jesus. Just stay with Jesus. Uh, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. There's another reference back to Isaiah 62. Not only the vesture dipped in blood, but the, 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 the king who goes forth and, and treads or, or tramples the winepress, speaking of the anger and the wrath of God. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that. I don't believe that God is a God of wrath, and I don't believe that God is a God of anger. Well, then you're not reading the same Bible I am. Because this book says God is a God of love, but this book also says that God is holy. And because of God's holiness, God has to judge sin. You say, well, what about us? Well, you have a choice. You can either pay for your sin by yourself and spend eternity in a place called hell. That's the payment for sin. Or you can accept the payment that Jesus Christ already made for you on the cross. It's up to you. But one way or another, that sin's got to be paid for. It's got, either got to be paid by you or it's got to be paid by Jesus. And I'm glad that there was a day when I was a little boy in Rockford, Illinois at 229 Victory Street that I knelt beside the bed in my parents' bedroom and I said, Jesus, I'm asking you to pay the price for me. You died for me. You paid the price and I receive you as my Savior and I put my trust in you. And so the Bible tells us that God is a God of love and mercy. But I want to remind you that same God is also a God of wrath and a God of anger. And the Bible says that he is coming back for judgment. It says in verse 16, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Verse 18, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And indeed... That's exactly what happens. Verse 19, I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth, their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. We see the return of Christ. 
We see that Jesus comes back to, to conquer. Jesus comes back to, to rule. Jesus comes back uh, to, to set the record straight. And when Jesus comes back the next time, it's the rapture and we're out of here. There'll be seven years of tribulation. And during those seven years, still the mercy of God is extended. Still people will be saved who have not heard before the rapture. Still there'll be second and third and fourth chances. But when this battle takes place in Revelation 19, and those armies turn to fight against Jesus Christ, that is a battle that is over before it starts. Because the angels don't have to do a thing. You and I are not going to be called upon to do a thing. We're there as the cheerleaders. We're there to conduct the pep rally because Jesus Christ, with a sword that comes out of his mouth, his word will completely destroy all of the armies of the earth that have gathered together. I'm not talking about guys standing around with spears and swords. I'm not talking about guys standing around with, you know, uh, old uh, archaic weapons. I'm talking about with all of the modern technology and all the nuclear warfare and all the tanks and all the jets and you name all that stuff doesn't even stand a chance against Jesus Christ. He is the conqueror. We see number three, the return of Christ. Quickly, number four, I see the reign of Christ. I've already uh, mentioned this, but we see the reign, uh, the rule of Christ. Verse number six. I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. They're shouting in Revelation 19, our God is reigning, our God is ruling, our God is King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 7, give honor unto him. That's what you do for a king. That's what you do for a ruler. You give him honor and that's what we'll do. Verse 10. I fell at his feet to worship him. Psalm 97, verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord reigneth. And then verse 16, He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's reigning. In Revelation 19, make no mistake, he will rule and he will reign. I close with these few Thoughts. In Revelation 19, the Bible says that the people are going to be rejoicing because it is time for Jesus Christ to settle the score. I know they're going to be rejoicing in Revelation 19, but here's my question Why are we not rejoicing in 2023? Why, why, are, why is there a disconnect? Why do we see Revelation 19 and say, oh, yep, I know that Jesus is going to conquer the world. But yet we don't think that he can handle our problems. So why are we not rejoicing today? I know that in Revelation 19, I know that there is the righteousness of God is magnified. Jesus is the righteous judge. He does not make any mistakes. So my question is, why in 2023 do we sometimes act like he does make mistakes? Why do we, and not, not literally, but sometimes in our heart and mind, why do we do this at God? Or why do we do this towards God? I want to tell you, friend, no matter what happens in your life or mine, God is always right. 
And as for God, his way is perfect. I know that Jesus Christ is returning. But my question is, why are we today, why are we not ready for that? I didn't get into it, I'll get into it another time, but the Bible says that it's gonna be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, we know who the bridegroom is, right? It's Jesus Christ. Well, who's the bride? We are. And the bride is supposed to be ready and the bride is supposed to be adorned in the wedding apparel and the, the bride is supposed to be uh, uh, without blemish and without spot like it says in Ephesians 5. That Jesus Christ uh, loved the church and gave himself for it and, and we are the bride of Christ. So if we know Jesus is coming back, why aren't we ready? This is not a new concept. Unless this is your, your first time in church or unless you just got saved last week, I think for all of us, we've heard it hundreds and thousands of times. Jesus is coming and it could be today. So my question is, why are we not ready? We need to get ready. And then my last question, thought, however you want to categorize it is this. We know that in Revelation 19, Jesus will reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But it seems to me from reading the Bible, it seems to me that he's already on the throne now. He's not fighting back to recapture his throne. He's on the throne. He always has been. He always will be. He's not giving it up for anybody else. So if we know he's going to be on the throne in Revelation 19, why is he not on the throne in our lives? Why is it that we say, oh, he's going to be king of everybody, but... I'm not going to let him be king. I'm not going to let him be in charge of fill in the blank, your schedule, your finances, your hobbies, your relationships, whatever it may be. Why is it that we fight and we try to sit on the throne in our own lives? And let's be honest, that's a struggle every day. Every day, we got to get off the throne of our lives and off the throne of our hearts and we need to say, Lord, it's yours because you, are the king. I like that song in our hymn books. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. I want Jesus not just to be king of kings and lord of lords, but I want him to be king of my life and lord of my life. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.